Hey everyone, I want to interrupt our normal rhythm to acknowledge what's going on in our world right now. I'm actually recording this on Thursday, so the circumstances with the coronavirus will likely be different by the time this episode reaches you on Monday. Regardless, there are some timeless truths I want to both say and pray over you right now. Some people may be wondering why. During a time that seems justifiable to produce high levels of fear, Why are some people able to experience inner peace? Even when this situation looks bleak and scary and unknown, how do some people still have a sincere inner joy? There are many sentences from the Bible that God uses to address this. I want to read just a few of them to you now. First, in Isaiah 26.3, it says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. And then in 1 Peter 1 8, Peter gives us a word of encouragement about Jesus when he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. If you desire this perfect peace and this inexpressible joy now and forever, cry out to God. Wherever you're listening to this right now, just call on his name. He will answer you. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 13, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We'll get to our episode soon, and we plan to continue releasing content as a form of normalcy for you to enjoy, no matter what your situation looks like today. But before we hear this episode, will you just join me in prayer? God, we call on your name right now. I don't know where this is landing today and what all of the situations are. Some of us are listening and are gripped with fear. Some of us are ill. And still others of us may be frustrated with this entire situation. Wherever we are, Lord, will you meet each one of us right there? Right now, God, I pray you provide your perfect peace that transcends all understanding We know you offer peace that's different from the peace the world offers, and we just want to declare that we are placing our hope and faith and trust in you. Please guide us with our next right step and be our comfort. We need you every moment. Thank you for allowing us to approach you wherever we are. You are such a good God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. I am thrilled to introduce you to our sponsor, Windshape Marriage. Their weekend retreats will strengthen your marriage and you will enjoy this gorgeous setting, delicious food, and quality time with your spouse. To find out more, visit them online at windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. Bill and Pam Farrell are ministry leaders and authors of numerous books. 
Together, we're going to discuss so many topics related to marriage, including communication, intimacy, conflict, and how we recharge in different ways. This is incredibly helpful for anyone who wants to understand their spouse or significant other better. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Bill and Pam. Hey, so great to be here. I love listening to you. I have never been on a show called Savvy Sauce before, so looking (laughs) forward to it. (laughs) He's (laughs) excited. That's awesome. Will you just start us off by taking us back all the way to your childhood and share how both of you discovered Jesus to be your Savior and writing to be one of your passions? Uh, I'll go first. So if you look at my life, I was born into a very chaotic, kind of crazy home. I'm the firstborn daughter of an alcoholic dad that had severe rage issues. Like I always thought that our family would make the headlines, but not for a good reason. More like man shoots family than shoots himself. A lot of domestic violence in our home. And um, my mom had a best friend named Kathy and that best friend lived Jesus in front of my mom and loved my mom uh, with Jesus power. And so my mom got curious. She's like, what do you have, Kathy, in your life that makes you so happy and you and your husband have a strong marriage and I love your kids and you're just so loving and giving what is it? And so Kathy was, she was kind of shy. So she just kind of said, Hey, Afton, why don't you and the kids just come to church with me and you'll see. And so in a little teeny tiny town in Oregon in a little teeny tiny church, uh, my mom walked us in. I was the oldest. I was about six or seven at that point, And I was holding hands with my little siblings. And we walked in and met such loving people that welcomed us and taught us about Jesus. And I saw love. I saw what love looked like for the first time. And I just knew I want to know the author of love, Jesus. And so the pastor came into our class and he's like, "Um, well, we're going to have this quiz team. And in a town of like 100 people, quiz teams kind of like American Idol. You know, you want to be on the show. And he's like, but you have to memorize Matthew 5, 6 and 7 to be on quiz team. And so little firstborn, Pam, overachiever, hey, I'm going to memorize Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I want to be on Christine. Well, you know, we were doing the Sermon on the Mount and came across that little verse. If you ask, you shall receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened unto you. And I remember thinking in my little heart, wow, Jesus, does that mean if I ask you to come into my life that you would be my best friend, my Savior, my Lord? And also during that time, if you memorize verses, there was this little treasure box and you could pull a prize out when you said your memory verse. And so I memorized Psalms 23 and I pulled out this little cross and it glowed in the dark. And I'm like, so cool. And so I pinned it onto my bulletin board. Well, that day while I was sitting on my bed trying to memorize all of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, about halfway through, my dad had been drinking all day and all night. He was in a rage. My sweet mom trying to talk him down. It got very scary. 
So little firstborn Pam worried about our little brother and sister. I run into my brother's room and I gather my sister, and my brother, and I bring them back into my room. I shut the door. I pushed a chest of drawers, a dresser in front of the door so dad couldn't get in and hurt us. And I tucked my brother and sister into bed. Then I shut off the light and I climbed into bed. And there, glowing in the dark, was that little cross. And on it, it read, Jesus lives. And I remember thinking, wow, the pastor's been telling me that you're stronger, Jesus, than anything, that you're more powerful than anyone, that you're more powerful than death itself. And if you're all those things, and I believe that you are, please come into my life to be my best friend, my Savior, and my Lord. And P.S. God, if you could work it out, I'd love to marry a pastor one day. <laughs> and God answered all those cries of that little girl's heart. Started on a new life. Went from pouty Pam to perky Pam. The joy of the Lord became my strength. Even though my parents' marriage got worse and worse and it got more and more uh, crazy and chaotic and volatile at my house, God was there with me, Emmanuel. And I am so grateful. That a precious, shy friend of my mom invited us to come to church. Oh, my goodness, Pam. That is such a captivating journey. Thank you for sharing all of that. And Bill, will you share your side as well? Sure. So I, I grew up in a home where I, my mom, I would describe her as a wounded natural leader. And because she's a natural leader, she was the dominant personality in my home. And because she's wounded, she was afraid of almost anything you can imagine. Like I became really aware of it when I was in fifth grade. I was told I couldn't know Jewish people, black people, anybody whose dad was a doctor or anybody whose parents were divorced. What? Because I was told those four <laughs> groups of people were out to get us. And it was a real problem for me because my best friend at the time was a Jewish young guy whose dad was a doctor and his parents were getting divorced. So I started asking the question, is my home normal? And I began to realize my home's very different. And one of the things my mom did out of her fear is she isolated us down. So the only people I spent time with growing up was my family of five. So my mom, dad, my brother, sister, and myself. We, we didn't have any extended family, no family friends, and we weren't allowed to go anywhere where there were groups of people which means I was never going to meet Jesus in a typical way because church was out of the picture. But then I went to go see my sophomore year in high school. I went to see an evangelistic film called The Exorcist. <laughs> and that, that movie got me reading the Bible. And the thought that got me was I about halfway through the movie, I said in my heart, I don't see any difference between me and the girl on the screen. So if anything like that could happen, and I knew Hollywood had overdone it, but if anything like that could happen, what would keep it from happening to me? I left with no answers. And because our family was so isolated, I didn't know anybody to talk to, but we had a Bible in our house. So I started reading the Bible. I started sleeping with the Bible because I had seen vampire movies, and you know, if you hold a cross, they can't get you. So I thought, well, if I, if I have the Bible with me, they can't get me. And after a month of doing all that, I read 1 John 4, 4. It says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And the light went on for me. That night, I asked Jesus to come into my life and be my Savior and forgive me for my sins. 
And the first thing that happened that made me knew that something was different is I slept all night that night. That's the first time I'd done that since I'd seen the movie. And because we weren't allowed to go to church, my brother and I started a Bible study at our high school that grew to 60 high school students who simply shared, what did God teach you this week? The first night that we got together, there were five of us, and we all shared what we had learned that week. And then, okay, well, what, what do we do now? And somebody in the group said, well, let's pray. And we went, oh, that's good. Let's pray. So we prayed, and in the prayer, we prayed it would double. And the next week, 10 students showed up. So we went, we know how this works. So we went through, we shared what we had learned. We prayed for each other. We prayed it would double again. It went to 20. Then it went to 40. And we didn't think we'd have enough room to keep it doubling. So we just told God at that point, you just make it whatever size you want. And for the rest of that year, 60 of us got together sharing what God was teaching us that week. And for me, it was electrifying. Because the first time in my life, I had real friends. The people that were there were genuine in their faith in Christ. And we were sharing what God was doing in our life right now. And so Jesus became very real to me. And things woke up inside of me that had been numb. Because my response to my home is I just went numb. I was tired of being hurt. And I was tired of being disillusioned. So, so I went numb, which means you couldn't hurt me. But I didn't feel the good side of life either. And when I started walking with Jesus, things started coming alive inside of me that I didn't even know existed. And so ministry became very exciting to me. I knew by the time I was halfway through college, I knew that a life of ministry was what I wanted to do with my days here on earth. And so it's been awesome being married to somebody who's as committed to ministry as I am. And it's been a real privilege to be able to minister to people around the world teaching them how family works, which is still fascinating to me because when you grow up in a chaotic home and you end up having a healthy marriage, it's a pretty amazing thing that happens. Right. People always tell us, wow, you defied all odds, you two. You're, I mean, we celebrate 40 years together. We just did celebrate 40 years together. And our family wrote us a book that's like the 40 reasons why we admire your marriage from our kids and grandkids and daughter-in-laws. And it was so precious. We sat there and just cried because we are a walking miracle of God. Like our marriage probably shouldn't even have lasted, you know, a month because we came in with so much baggage. But God began to unpack that baggage. And yes, God can do that for everybody. Amen to that. That is so incredible to hear all of that backstory. I think that's a great topic to cover today. So for our chat I'd love to focus specifically on one of your best-selling books related to marriage, and that's the one called Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti, Understanding and Delighting in Your Differences. So will you two just tell us more about those differences? We got to tell you the story about the title because that makes it makes it another God miracle. Right. <laughs> well, and one of the things that's very true about us is we... We realized early on we couldn't trust our instincts about relationships because the homes we grew up in didn't develop our instincts very well. We had to be very proactive and like hunt down mentors and like Bill would take us to church. We went into ministry early, like we got married at 20 and um, we were youth pastors and we would go and we stand at the back of the church and 
holding hands and Bill would survey the crowd and he would look for couples that looked like they still liked each other that had some gray hair, couples that were maybe hugging or holding hands or arm around, you know, his his or her back. And he'd go plant us behind them. And we had a greeting time at our church, so they had to meet us. And when they met us, I would look at the husband and say, hey, you look like you're in love with this woman. Is this real? And if he said yes, I would say, well, how did you do it? You don't have time at church to have that conversation. So that usually led to an invite to lunch. And over lunch, we would ask them questions like, what do you do every day that keeps you in love? And what are the things you've done you wouldn't repeat because they weren't smart the first time? What's the hardest time and season you've ever been through? And how did you survive it as a couple? And what kind of habits have you developed as a couple that keep you connected? And we started to discover real wisdom from those couples. And so because of that, we really saw the value of mentors and mentoring. And our hearts really kind of turned to like, we really want to be those people that people can come to as mentors to them. So we had this open heart to want to share anything that God was teaching us that helped us with everybody else. So fast forward, we have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. We moved to a new community. Bill's 28. He takes over as lead pastor of a church. And we're thinking, how do we best reach this community? We're both athletes. And so why don't we volunteer in youth sports? And so Bill ended up as the president of the basketball league. And one day in the gym, a man came to Bill. He said, hey, you're a pastor, right? I said, yes. He said, do you work with couples? And I said, well, yeah, we do actually. We, we do a lot of training in our church. He said, okay, can I bring my wife in to see you? Because I think she's broken. Pam and Bill, you guys have a great marriage. I really want what you have, but I don't have it right now. And I was really intrigued by what he meant by she's, she's broken. broken. <laughs> so I said, yeah, why don't you come into my office and let's just see what happens. Well, they came to my office and this woman is probably the most verbal woman I've met in my lifetime. Like I know studies say that women have more words every day than the average man does, but she's definitely in the top like two or three percent. So they came to my office, they sat down, he looked at her and said, go ahead. And she started talking right on cue. And she was jumping from subject to subject to subject to subject. And the husband looked at Bill with this like panic look. And so I said to him, hey, why don't you think about her conversation like a plate of spaghetti? There's a bunch of noodles on the plate. Every noodle touches every other noodle. And she's going to have to go through and just touch every noodle. And she may jump from one noodle to another very, very quickly because they're all connected to one another. So just let her go through and connect all the noodles in her thinking. She's actually trying to connect her life to you. It's a compliment. So the guy's like, well, how do I do that? Bill taught him some listening skills. So the, the woman talked straight, 55 straight minutes. Mm-hmm. And she finally breathed and she sat back and she's like, oh, that was so great. Probably the first time she wasn't interrupted. And that's why she valued it so much. She's like, that was so great. OK, if I'm like spaghetti, then what's my husband like? And I said, well, we're out of time for this week, but let's get together in a couple of weeks and I'll, I'll share that with you. Like we've been doing research, but I had just come up with the picture on the spot. Like we knew that there are differences in our DNA, XX, XY, estrogen, testosterone. There are so many differences underneath the skin of each male and female. 
And God made us that way. In uh, Genesis 1.27, it says God created us male and female. This was before the fall of mankind. So it's actually God's plan that we are unique and are different. So the question is, how do we make those differences work for us? So we've been doing all this research. We had all the science. We had the Bible. And so Bill just started praying. I said, God, I have two weeks. I need a food analogy that shows how men process information. And my boys were making toaster waffles one day, and I said, oh, I think that might work. Uh-huh. went back to this couple, and I, I explained to them, well, the way men process information, it looks like the top of a waffle. There's a bunch of boxes. All those boxes are separated from one another by walls. And the way we as men operate is the first issue in life goes in the first box. Second issue goes in the second box. Third issue goes in the third box, and so on. And we as men, we spend time in one box at a time in one box only. So when a man is at work, he is at work. And when a man's in the yard doing yard work, he is in the yard doing yard work. When he's watching TV, he is watching TV. And as we mature, we jump boxes faster, but we still only handle one box at a time. So I explained this to this couple and I I said, well, sir, it's your turn to talk this week. Is there something you'd like to bring up? And he said, yeah, there really is. And I told the wife, okay, you have to stay on the subject he's going to bring up. You, you're going to immediately see other subjects that are related, and you cannot bring them up this time. And I'll take notes on it so that we know what subjects you want to bring up later, but you can't bring them up now. And I had to be kind of the relationship police that day because six times she tried to change the subject. Back to box number one. And they solved the issue in my office that day. And they were on the brink of divorce. I went home to Pam. I said, Pam, I think I've got something and we should try it out at a seminar. And so Bill explained, you know, what he had shared about men compartmentalize. And so their brains are like how a waffle looks and women integrate. So their brains look like one noodle laying on a plate of spaghetti that touches every other noodle. And I remember my response was, Wow, that is really clever and kind of. She said it's corny. Corny and cheesy, but God (laughs) gave it to you, and I trust God, and I trust you, Bill. And if it helps somebody, yeah, let's use it. Let's try it. Let's see how it flies. And so that weekend, we had a small conference in our community because we had another book that had come out, Pure Pleasure Making Your Marriage a Great Affair. And so we had this little marriage conference of 25 to 30 people. It was small. And we decided to add in that men are like waffles and like spaghetti segment. Well, it was the hit of the night. Everybody was talking about it. And one of the main reasons why is because we shared that every guy on his waffle has a blank box. There are no thoughts. There are no words. There's like nothing going on. And guys park in that blank box. We women get like radar. And so we ask, so what you thinking? Which is a really hard question for us because in that blank box, there are no thoughts. There are no words. As men, we are literally thinking nothing. nothing. And and our wives have a hard time accepting that. So as husbands, we try telling the truth. We say nothing. nothing. And the response we get is, well, you can't be thinking nothing. You have to be thinking something. So what is it? And part of our ministry is helping people realize every male has the ability to think absolutely nothing. Not a blank, nothing, yeah. But because the truth didn't work real well, the next time you ask the question, there's a delay that takes place. 
and our eyes start darting back and forth because we're looking for a box somewhere nearby that has words in it so that we can answer the question. And then our wives misinterpret the delay. And they start to think, oh, you don't want to share what you're really thinking. So now you're making Making something something up. (laughs) And in reality, we were just thinking nothing. nothing. And so it was a big hit. We are different in the way we communicate, in the way we manage stress, in the way we romance, in the way we parent. And so we just kept building, building, building on the differences. And it was so positive that night. There was a young couple that was a newlywed couple they saw the article about us in the newspaper. And so they came to this little seminar. What we didn't know is he was the weekend program director for the largest talk radio station in San Diego where we we're living at the time. And he's like, hey, have you guys ever thought about radio? You were so great. And, and so we came in on Valentine's Day that year. We prayed on the way down. Okay, Lord, we know that the only super glue uh, that can hold a couple together is you, God. And so let us, even on this general market station, let us be brave enough to share the truth about you being the answer. God is love. And so the general manager walked in, he shook Bill's hand and he's like, so nice to meet you. I understand that you're a pastor and I would just assume that you would share the spiritual dynamics and how God can improve relationships. Uh, so we ended up on radio doing a radio talk show and men are like waffles and like spaghetti ended up becoming a book and then a DVD series that churches can use for small groups or couples can just go through together. Then there's a singles version of Men Are Like Waffles and Like Spaghetti, a teenage version. And now it's also translated into more than 15 languages around the world. Like so often when we talk about differences, they, it gets viewed in a judgmental way or like somebody's trying to establish superiority. And it's not that way. It's a great benefit to the family. It's a great benefit to marriages. And it's a great benefit to our communities that we bring different gifts to the table. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. I'm so excited to share today's sponsor, Windshape Marriage, with you. Windshape Marriage is a fantastic ministry that helps couples prepare, strengthen, and if needed, even save their marriage. Windshape Marriage is grounded on the belief that the strongest marriages are the ones that are nurtured, even if it seems like things are going smoothly. That way, they'll be stronger if they do hit a bump along their marital journey. Through their weekend retreats, Windshape Marriage invites couples to enjoy time away to simply focus on each other. These weekend retreats are hosted within the beautiful refuge of Windshape Retreat, perched in the mountains of Rome, Georgia, which is just a short drive from Atlanta, Birmingham, and Chattanooga. While you and your spouse are there, you'll be well-fed, well-nurtured, and well-cared for. During your time away in this beautiful place, you and your spouse will learn from expert speakers and explore topics related to intimacy, overcoming challenges, improving communication, and so much more. I've stayed on site at Windshape before, and I can attest to their generosity, food, and content. You will be so grateful you went. To find an experience that's right for you and your spouse, head to their website, windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. It sounds like you too celebrate those differences. So maybe the first three differences that come to mind, could you elaborate on those and share what it could look like for a marriage that celebrates rather than resists those differences? 
Bill likes to quote his favorite <laughs> philosopher. That's Rocky Balboa. In the Rocky movie, Rocky was dating Adrian, and Adrian's brother, Polly was concerned about the relationship. So he approached Rocky one day, and he said, hey, what are you doing with my sister? And Rocky's response was, um, I got gaps, she got gaps, together we fill gaps. Which is really good relationship advice, because we all have gaps. Pam is way better at multitasking than I am. And when we were raising kids, and we would put together the family schedule, if I was in charge of the family schedule, I would be hacking stuff out of the kids' lives because I couldn't keep up with it. Where Pam would look at it and say, oh, no, we can do this, we can do that, we can make this happen, they can do this. And she would put it all together in a system that worked without stress. It's the benefit of being a spaghetti. We integrate everything. And so I like to say, if you look at the way a woman's mind works, it's like one noodle laying on a plate of spaghetti. If you follow that noodle around that plate, it touches every other noodle on the plate. And so we're fabulous at multitasking or toggle tasking, as it's sometimes called today. So we can be on the phone with a friend, her life's falling apart. We're like, hey, have you listened to like Laura on the Savvy Sauce? I think that um, her show could really help you start listening to that podcast. And we're cooking dinner. We're talking to our kids in sign language, telling them to quit fighting. Can't you see I'm on the phone? We have a load in the washer, load in the dryer, and we can open and shut the oven door with our foot. It's amazing, you know, how great women can be at multitasking. Right. And it's amazing when Pam shares that women applaud her and the men say, I'm, I'm tired just listening to you say that. <laughs> And so that brings to the first area of our differences, that's communication. The way we communicate is very different. And so Bill likes to school guys up on the way women communicate. Right, because when a wife approaches a husband and says, honey, we need to talk, the first thing men tend to do is they go into problem-solving mode. They're going to size up the problem. They're going to provide their male insight into the problem. They're going to solve it right in front of her and be a big hero. And so we tell men, guys, when it's your wife's turn to talk, first thing you want to do is turn off that fix-it mechanism you were born with, pack up your bags, and go on a listening journey with your wife, and let her take the conversation anywhere she wants it to go. Because what your wife is doing is she's connecting her life to you, because it's one of the primary ways that women develop trust. But if a woman thinks you are important, she's going to connect her life to you, because when she gets enough of her life connected to you, Trust turns on like a light bulb. And when men see it that way, they're like, well, I want my wife to trust me. So now I'm willing to listen right. without having to solve everything. They get motivated to listen. And then for women, I tell women we can basically out-talk guys. And so what is a gift to the guys? They're packing up their bags and going on a listening journey. What we're going to do is we're going to stay in the box. And when a guy brings up a subject to talk about, it's actually that subject that he wants to talk about. We women see the five or six other boxes surrounding that first box, and we just start opening up boxes. And the problem with that is men are problem solvers by nature. And so when they have one box open, that's one problem to solve. When they have two boxes open, that's two problems to solve. Three boxes open, that's three problems to solve, and so on. And every male has a limit on how many boxes or how many issues he can have presenting at the same time. If we get too many boxes open, we will know it because one of two things is probably going to happen. He'll either fire up and become angry and we're like, what? I was just talking. 
Or he'll just like shut the conversation down and want to escape to one of his favorite easy boxes, like maybe the garage. And then you're chasing him out the door with your words and nobody's needs are getting met there. And so one of the gifts that we can give is the gift of staying in the box. And one of the questions I get asked most by women is how do I get my husband, my son, my dad, you know, my brother to open up? So I encouraged them with the story of a girl who came to me. We were youth pastors at the time. And so Bill was doing a lot of premarital and weddings with college kids. So she came to me. She's like, I'm so excited to get married to my fiance. I mean, he's handsome. He's godly. He's a good provider. He's patient. He's kind. But I think something's wrong with him. I think he is broken. I think what they call it in university is emotionally shallow. And I just started to smile. And the reason why I like was holding back a laugh is she just hadn't found the key to opening up her guy's heart. And that is men like to live in, dwell in, camp out in boxes they feel super successful in and avoid boxes they don't feel successful in. So I asked her, hey, tell me about your fiance because I'm looking for the box he feels comfortable or successful in. She's like, um, he's a race car driver. I said, there you go, baby girl. You just get yourself into that garage and repeat key phrases. Just repeat back what he's talking about, about that car. And she's like, all right, I'll try that. So she goes out to the car and of course he's working on the car. And so he starts to talk about parts and flywheels and pistons. And so she is just repeating back. You know, um, all these car parts. She doesn't really have a clue what she's talking about, but she is interested. And he comes out from underneath the car. He puts his hand on the hood and he's like, wow, nobody's ever taken the time to care about my world like this. Nobody's ever loved me the way you love me. I'm so excited to get married to you. I want to build us a big three bedroom, two bath house with a balcony out back and a front porch. And I'll build a swing set for the kids that we'll have one day and I'll hang up a front porch swing and every night when I come home from work I'll bring you a skinny vanilla latte and I'll just like slide in next to you and hold you in my arms as we watch the sunset I'll listen to your heart my friend said I never want to leave the garage again (laughs) that really paints such a clear picture I love that because so many people have asked specifically about communication so I think you're laying out how we can both do our part And on a bit of a different topic, I'm just curious from your years of study and research, what have you found to be the most common differences for the way that each of the genders prefer to relax at home? Women, we talk our way through stress. Like if I'm stressed out, my mom knows it, my best friend knows it, my prayer partner knows it, the clerk at the grocery store will know it. We talk our way through stress. How guys manage stress is they like to go their favorite easy boxes to rest and recharge. It's kind of like a battery in a battery recharger. When you look at a battery sitting in a recharger, what does it look like it's doing? Nothing. Yeah, but it's doing something. It's recharging. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so sometimes we look at our husband like, there's so much stress here. And you're what? Watching TV? You're playing Xbox? You're on your phone? You're doing nothing? But they're doing something. They're recharging. 
And so God kind of helped us girls out in that most of men's favorite easy boxes are actually shaped like boxes when you think about it. The TV screen is shaped like a box, the phone is shaped like a box, the computer screen is shaped like a box, basketball court, baseball diamond, football hockey field, hockey goal, pool table, refrigerator. the refrigerator is shaped like a box, and the bed is shaped like a box. Mm-hmm. That bed box, that red hot monogamy box as we call it that's uh, a favorite box for husbands to go to when they're stressed out it's kind of like the free square in the middle of a bingo card and they can get there from every other square on their waffle Ooh, bingo. <laughs> i have discovered that with pam relaxing is all about connections so she wants to connect with the people that are important to her and the activities that lower stress for her So, for instance, just recently, she took all of our daughter-in-laws to a spa as a Christmas present. And the whole idea is we're going to take a day where we get to relax. Pam loves the pool. And I wouldn't say that all women like to relax by the pool, but Pam loves the pool. So she's very connected to the water. When women get to do what they're connected to emotionally, it just lowers stress. And then she got to do that with the people she cares about in this world. Like we have prayed for our daughter-in-laws for decades that our boys would meet women who love them and appreciate them and are great partners in life with them. Love God. And so being able to spend time with them and celebrate what God is doing is really what, what helps Pam do her best. There's always this sense of it needs to be significant. It needs to be important. It needs to add value to my life, which is different than what guys do. Like I just recently spent some time with our sons. We went to a 3D archery range where we walked around out in the desert shooting arrows at targets. And so people would ask, well, what do you guys talk about? Uh, archery. We talked about shooting arrows. <laughs> <laughs> because for us, we're just disappearing into an easy box where when Pam went to the spa with the girls, they talked about their whole Everything. Lives. Yeah. And so for Pam, it's all about being connected to the people she cares about and to activities that lower stress. And it's, it's very personal. So what works for Pam may or may not work for somebody else's wife because it's a personal thing of what causes stress to come down. So for some women, they like to be very active. For some women, it's arts and crafty type things. For some people, it's travel some people it's shopping, but the key is that for her, it helps lower stress when she does it. And I'm hearing a common theme from both of you. So first step is to learn about your spouse and what recharges them. And the second piece of ownership, I think that next step sounds like it works best when each of you are gracious with the other person when you recognize this may be opposite of how I recharge, but I want to gift you with that. Very much so. The Bible tells us in Philippians 2 to consider others as more important than yourself and have this attitude that was also in Christ Jesus. So we're most like Jesus when we take our eyes off self and look at our spouse and say, what will lower their stress in Red Hot Romance Tips for Wives. It's a little book, and I do a 26-day Red Hot Wife Challenge. I talk about the plimsoll line on a boat. And Bill and I live on a boat right now, and that plimsoll line is very important. And what that is, is it's a line that goes around the boat, and it shows how much cargo or how much weight a boat can carry 
before it capsizes. And every person, every man, every woman has like that proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. They have a plimsoll line, how much they can carry before they get so stressed out they can't function. And so it's very much like Jesus to try to lower the stress of your partner, do things that will ease their burden. The Bible also tells us to bear one another's burdens. And so when we carry it together, it divides the stress and both of us will come out better. And Laura, I would even strengthen what you said by adding, we marry what we don't have. Like part of our attraction to the person we're married to is they have something in life we do not possess. And so at times it's really rewarding and really fulfilling and really fascinating because you get to experience what you couldn't experience on your own. But at other times it's confusing and frustrating because your spouse approaches things differently than you do. And learning to accept that that's a good addition to your life, learning to be gracious with things you don't understand rather than feeling like you need to correct it all, and learning to applaud the differences and say to one another, well, I could never accomplish what you just did, and I would never have come up with that on my own, but I'm going to learn to see the value in it. It's one of the secrets that makes marriage last for a long time. That is so well said. If this is your first time hearing the Savvy Sauce, welcome. Our team loves what we get to do, and we hope that you'll go back and hear all of our previous episodes. For those of you who have been around for a long time, maybe even from the beginning, would you consider joining Patreon? If you don't know what it is, all the details are on our website at thesavvysauce.com under the tab Patreon. And you can always email us with further questions at info at And as we go back just a little bit, you did mention the box that's shaped like a bed. Let's talk about sexual intimacy in marriage because you two have written an entire book on that topic. But I would <laughs> love to know, as it relates to the different genders, what would you like to teach us about sexual intimacy in marriage? Yeah, um, we have written Red Hot Monogamy. It's like an eight-week guide to turn up the temperature uh, behind bedroom doors, you know, fan the flame on love and romance. But the seed of that book actually came out of Men Are Like Waffles and Like Spaghetti. We have two chapters there, one on romance and the other on sexual intimacy. So we'll start with romance. The way you romance your wife is you build connections into her life that remind her she's important to you. So sometimes it's really simple things like calling her in the middle of the day and, and saying, hey, I didn't call for any reason. I just called to say I love you. A friend of mine just recently had his wife ask him, what do you know about me that other people may not know? And she, he said a really simple thing. You like crunchy food. And she went, you're right. And nobody, <laughs> most people don't know that. It reached a connection in her heart that just drew her to him. And as men, we tend to oversimplify everything. We want to be able to say things like, hey, look, I married you because I love you. Done deal. It's settled. Instead of staying on the journey of trying to continually connect with our wives. So I tell men all the time, keep looking for connections. If your wife loves flowers, get her flowers. If she loves notes, leave notes for her. If she loves a certain activities, like if she loves a, a certain sport or she loves a certain craft, invest in it and buy her things that help her be able to do those things in the midst of her life. 
And the key is not what you're doing. It's that you're making a connection into her heart. Instead of just saying, hey, uh, you're available Friday. Instead, send her an invitation. Say, hey, I would love to spend this Friday with you because it would make it the best day of my week. And on Tuesday, check in with her and see if it's possible. You know, Is the schedule going to work? Are we able to do this? Um, on Tuesday or Wednesday, you should give her some guidelines on how to dress. Don't get too controlling. Say, you have to wear this. But give her guidelines on how to dress. And on Friday, go out and just enjoy the evening together. It can be a very simple date. But on Saturday, find a way to send her a thank you note. Send it through email. Send it through the mail. Post it on social media. But thank her for the time that you got to spend together. And you get bonus points if you go to the restaurant ahead of time and leave a little gift. Because that means you thought of her while you're doing something else. Which is like, that's like a double bonus. And if you, the guy, arranges childcare, ding, 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 you win. The key for us men is it needs to be our goal to reach our wife's heart as often as we can. Like We're already interested in our wife's body, and we are very easily aroused physically. But if we make it our goal, I'm going to reach her heart as often as I can, it opens up the entire intimate relationship. And as men, we're always trying to shortcut the the process. And, And if we will accept that God gave me somebody very different than me, And if I'm willing to make enough connections into her life that our hearts stay connected, you will be very satisfied with your sexual life at the same time. Right. We tell newlyweds all the time, ladies, if you give a man your your body, body, he'll give you his heart. And guys. If you give your wife your heart, she'll be willing to give you her body. And so and that works really well with that other centered, you know, attitude there and. Um, how to romance a guy is clear, simple expectation. Say you want to go to dinner and a movie. A husband thinks it's dinner and a movie and the bingo box yeah, that's going to happen. Yep. <laughs> Tie together his favorite boxes, and one of them is the bingo box. So, I mean, that is an important box to a guy. And so sometimes, though, it's just super simple to romance a guy. It might be, you know curling up next to him um, and watching the football game and bring something wrapped in bacon and only talk during the commercials. Yeah, simple. (laughs) And going back to what you were talking about, Bill, it sounds like you're saying these are ways for men to get their wife in each of their boxes, and that helps romance and pursue her. Is that right? When you ladies say that, it's a little frightening to us, guys. We're not sure we want you in every box that we have because we like to reserve some for, you know, just guy stuff. Guy stuff, yeah. Uh-huh. But in principle, what you're saying is true. That as men, one of the reasons why God calls us to get married is he wants us to expand our horizons. And he wants us to learn that life is more complex than we would normally make it. As men, we're always trying to simplify things. And it's not realistic. When we get married, we start to realize, oh, life is a little more complex than I realized. For us men, it's a learned skill to learn how to appreciate the complexity that you ladies naturally bring to the emotional side of life and the relational side of life and the activity side of life. And when we accept it and say, I'm going to learn from you, our lives get richer and fuller and the whole relationship tends to thrive. But the tendency that men fall into is they try to shut their wives down and keep it simple. 
so that we don't get overwhelmed. In Romans chapter 15, verse 7, it says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And when you have that attitude of acceptance, that I, I'm not going to try to change you to be like me. I'm going to accept you as God made you. A couple of things happen. One is your relationships start to work better because you're cooperating with the way God created us. Because Genesis 1.27 says that God made us in his image and that included making us male and female. And so all of your relationships work better because you're cooperating with the way God made things. But also the praise of God settles in on your relationship. And you start to develop a, a love for one another that is literally stronger than you could come up with on your own because you're in partnership with God, who is the author of love. When we're other-centered, you know, God adds his parts, kind of like the loaves and fishes. If we bring our little lunch, God adds himself, and everybody's needs get met. But it is a learning curve. Well, I created an app for men, because men don't tend to be readers. So I created a phone app called Her Best Friend, which is one idea a day for men on how to connect with their wives at a better level and and help the relationship keep growing. Romance their wife. Yep. And so really what we're saying is everybody get tools in your toolbox and to appreciate and value your mate the way God made them. Well, let's also talk about conflict. How does that play out with our different design as either spaghetti or waffles? So it's pretty much guaranteed as a married couple that you're going to have conflict because, again, you when you marry what you don't have. So there's times that you just don't see things eye to eye. And unless you're being really passive in the relationship, you're going to have conflict. And the key to working through conflict is to decide ahead of time how you're going to face it. Because the one thing I wish people had told us sooner in life is that our emotions always follow our decisions. And conflict is almost always an emotional event in your life. I've still yet to meet couples who sat down and said, you know, it would be really good for our relationship if we had a conflict. So I'm just going to create one so we can add value to our relationship. It, it just doesn't happen that way. You, you get in conflict because something emotionally hits you. And what happens so often in relationships is you, you get emotionally upset you haven't decided ahead of time how you're going to approach it. And so you just start to react to one another. And we do have default mechanisms as genders. Studies say that we women were the first ones to reach out to a third party when a marriage is on the rocks. It's like we have this intuition that something's wrong and somebody needs to help us here. Where husbands they don't know what to do with all those emotions, so they just shove it down, shove it down, and they end up having heart attacks and strokes, and that's not good. And the way that God designed it to work is it's very clear that studies show that the alarm system for relationships is in the female side of the race. As Pam said, when something's wrong in a relationship, you ladies, you sense it. And the natural reaction is when you sense that something is wrong, you start bringing it up. You start talking. Just like an alarm makes noise when something is wrong, you ladies will start talking and bringing up the subject because you know something needs to be done. And as men, what we tend to do is we get defensive because it sounds like, wow, you've already thought about it. You already know what I'm supposed to do. You know what you're supposed to do. You know what the whole world is supposed to do. And we feel like we're way behind in the conversation. So we get defensive. 
which makes you you sense that, oh, something really is wrong because, look, he's getting defensive. So then you bring up more, which causes men to become more defensive. And then you get these crazy cycles as couples where nothing gets done. All emotions are escalated and nothing is resolved. And the way it's supposed to work is that God put the alarm system in the female side. He made us men good problem solvers. And those two are supposed to work together. If as men, we can start to say, okay, the alarm's going off. I need to start asking questions about what's really going on here. Because for couples who discover what the real issue is, couples are really good at solving real issues. The problem is that they don't get to the real issue because they just get in a flurry with one another. In our relationship, I would tell you almost every time there's a conflict and it's there because of me, it's because I'm feeling left out. And I can trace it back to two things. One, I'm the youngest in my family. And if you're the youngest in your family, you felt dismissed on a regular basis because everybody else talks for you and everybody else decides for you. And so you you get this attitude of, hey, I know what's right, but nobody's going to listen to me, so I'm going to have to manipulate instead. And the second thing is I married a very decisive woman, and I grew up with a woman who made all of the decisions in our, our family. And out of fear, my mom wouldn't let other people participate in the decision-making, so she would just decide for you and tell you what to do. And I married a decisive woman, so she can easily trigger that off in me. And if I say to Pam, you are being controlling, that does not go well. No, no, that is not a good statement. But if I say to Pam, <laughs> Pam, I'm being left out of this decision. Can we can we revisit this together? So much better. Calms uh, the situation down. And in the same way, if it's escalating due to my bad attitude, it's going to be because I'm fearing failure. Because firstborn daughter growing up in a crazy house, I always thought that I had to be the one to carry the burden to fix the problem, to fix my parents' marriage. So anytime when I feel like I'm going to fail, it's going to show up as anger. If I can like push pause, Lord, heal my heart. Let's unpack this baggage. I know that I'm not really angry. I know that I'm hurt. I know that I'm afraid. There's some kind of fear here. If I can unpack that before God and then revisit the discussion with Bill, things are going to go better. And so that's why we encourage couples to have a conflict covenant. A written conflict covenant. Right. Rules of engagement, um, how you will manage when you disagree. Um, For example, um, in Men Are Like Waffles and Like Spaghetti, we share several examples of conflict covenants and what should be in them. But some of ours are we're going to hold hands every time we argue because I'm just less likely to throw stuff if I'm holding Bill's hand. And my mom was a thrower. So I needed to know when, when I got married to Pam that she wasn't going to throw plates or food or coffee cups. And, you know, I because of the crazy home I grew up in, I mean, things that in the Conflict Covenant are pretty basic. Like, I'm not going to swear at you. I'm not going to belittle you. I'm not going to run over you with the truck. And part of our Conflict Covenant, too, is that we are going to finish every argument. And what we mean by that is almost every argument that a couple gets in is because something you love about your spouse is driving you crazy. So like, I love the fact that Pam's creative, but sometimes it feels like she's not using logic. I love the fact that Pam is a decisive woman because she can stand on her own and she has strong convictions. 
But when she shares those convictions about me, <laughs> I'm not so excited about them. Yeah, I love the fact that, Bill, there's a right and there's a wrong. And I love that about him, man of integrity, right up until the time he's editing my manuscripts with a red pen. Then I'd right. like, ah. <laughs> and in, in, in marriage, a conflict has been resolved when you have rediscovered what you love about your spouse that was the source of this conflict. People always ask, like, what was your biggest conflict? What is is a year-long argument? It was when our kids were young. I had a two-year-old, and the other boys were in school. I was finishing my education, and Bill had just started as the lead pastor of this church. And so it felt very overwhelming to Bill that I wanted to go back to school and that I did go back to school. It wasn't the activities that Pam was involved in. It was the passion with which she spoke about them. And I had decided in my heart that all those passions could turn on when our youngest son got in school. And she wasn't cooperating with that. And the passion is what scared me. I thought if she keeps running with this passion, things are going to get out of balance and we're not going to be able to manage our family and we're not going to be able to, to run this church ministry and do all this other stuff that's coming out of her heart. It was this fear-based process. Because he thought he was being left out again. And so we would, you know, our conflict covenant says that we're going to finish every argument. So we would get together. We would, you know, have a conversation. We would hit the same stone wall. We always, we always start these conversations with prayer and we end them with prayer. And so then if we don't solve it, we reschedule. And so week after week, we're like holding hands, praying for each other, having a conversation not getting anywhere, pray for each other, reschedule like week after week after week after week for a year. And we're still dating each other and we'll, we're still you know going out on romantic dates as well. So like we always make sure that the happy side stays in, especially when you have something that is a conflict you're trying to resolve. So Bill called up a mentor of his and they had lunch. I basically asked him, how do I get Pam to be more cooperative? And his response to me was, Bill, why do you need to control your wife? And I was really offended by the statement because <laughs> I thought, I don't need to control my wife. I, I'm just trying to come partners with her and figure out how to do this together. And after I got done arguing with God about that, I realized, yeah, I actually was trying to control him. I was trying to get her to tone down the passions that were guiding her heart until our kids got a little bit older. See, he thought he was just arguing with me. Right. And, and I realized the reason why Pam couldn't shut all this off is that God had put this dream on her heart. And I had made an agreement early on that any dream that God put on Pam's heart, I would be fully supportive of. It didn't include supporting all of Pam's ideas because Pam can come up with lots and lots and lots yes, and lots, lots and lots of, of ideas. <laughs> but if God put it on her heart, I would be all in. And at this point, I realized I had a problem because Pam had captured a dream that God had put in her heart, and I had argued with it for a year. So I knew I couldn't just go to her and say, oh, Pam, okay, I get it now. I'm sorry for arguing so much. I'm, I'm good now. Because it wouldn't be believable after a year of arguing. Right. The bigger the offense, the bigger the apology has to be. There's a principle there. Mm -hmm. And so I was up on campus. I was in a class. And every day in that class, I always had to stand up for my faith. And I happened to mention, Bill, hey, I know you're going to be up filming on campus. When you walk by this classroom, I'm going to be inside and I'm sure I'll be standing up for my faith. 
saying it for Jesus. Can you just like shoot a prayer up when you walk by my classroom? Well, so I see in this sure. class. And um, the professor is talking about romance literature and that romance is dead. It's always been dead. Romance is just an illusion. No two people can stay in love for a lifetime. It's impossible. And all the women are like, yeah, because men are scum. And all the guys are like, when does this class get over? And the door pops open. And I walked in with a dozen roses, set them on Pam's desk, gave her a kiss and said, I love you, Pam, and walked out the door. So the professor's like, what is it your birthday and i'm like no he's like is it your anniversary yes no he's like well why did he interrupt the class then and i said i believe that bill wanted to tell me that i see the dream that god has placed on your heart to be a writer to write a book this year to finish your degree and i just want to tell you i believe in your dream and see what i know about pam is she loves public attention so I figured if I went into her world and made a statement, it would get the message across that the argument's now over and I'm on board. And that's part of getting to know your spouse. Like if your wife does not love public attention, this is not a great idea. But if your wife loves it like Pam does, then it, it's a strong statement. And obviously the statement got across. To see years later that God really has been faithful to all of those desires he put in your heart and the two of you yep. have done so much of this together. Is there anything else that you two would recommend for both husbands and wives to do so that they can meet the specific needs of their spouse? You know, it's really wonderful to just keep a running list. In the back of Men Are Like Waffles and Like Spaghetti, we have date nights. And so we really encourage the couples to read the book together and then go out on a date and discuss it. One of those date nights is to make a list of dream dates that you each would like to go on and then trade lists. The reason why that's important is because if you want to surprise your spouse or if you take turns planning dates like Bill and I do, there's like a running list. You know exactly what is going to please, encourage, you know, delight, bring bliss to your mate because they've given you a list. Now, it's not a list of expectations. It's just a list of ideas. And by doing proactive things like that, you cultivate a desire to get to know your mate at a deeper level. And that's probably what's most important is just that desire of curiosity. I'm going to keep learning about you year after year after year because God made you for me. God created your spouse to be a good fit into your life. But we have to value our spouse and get to know our spouse and encourage and affirm our spouse to really keep seeing the upside of those differences. And two things that I would encourage every couple to do, Laura, is first of all, is to keep dating. The enemy of intimacy is responsibility. Every decade, the average adult in North America doubles his or her responsibility level. So at 30, you have twice the responsibility you had at 20. And at 40, you have four times the responsibility you had at 20. And so many couples, they just drift apart because the responsibility of life takes over. And the only way to fight it is to, to deliberately interrupt each other's lives on a regular basis to remind yourselves that you're a couple. The person who's more social can plan more of the dates, but take turns planning dates for one another so that you interrupt the responsibility schedule and remind yourself that it's good to be you. And the other thing I would encourage is just keep praying together as a couple and keep it simple because you'll never fully understand one another. 
But when you pray, you get to see in each other's heart. Prayer is like a window into the soul of your spouse. And we encourage couples, make a commitment to pray together on a daily basis for two to three minutes. So keep it short so that you're always able to succeed and restart every day so there's no guilt. And when you commit to a couple of minutes a day, every once in a while, you're going to have a longer time of prayer because you just naturally fall into it. And when you see into the heart of your spouse, it renews your appreciation for one another, even though you'll never fully understand each other. That cultivating that spiritual atmosphere and those spiritual skills is like super glue. Um, There's studies out that say that couples that pray together daily and pray for each other daily rate their red hot monogamy as the highest possible rating. Couples that attend church together rate their relationship highest satisfactory red hot monogamy. Couples that are in a small group Bible study and Bill was a small groups pastor for Dr. David Jeremiah for a while and he loved that stat that if you're in a small group, you're surrounded by people who believe in long-lasting love. So it helps you have a long-lasting love. Mm-hmm. As a result, you have a more satisfying relationship, more red-hot monogamy. And so there seems to be this correlation that the more passion each of us have towards God, then God boomerangs that passion back into our marriage relationship. And we have more passion for each other, resulting in better intimacy, more red-hot monogamy. It's a win-win. So the things that make marriage work are actually pretty simple if you do the things that work. If your car needs oil and you spend lots of time washing and waxing it, the effort is incredible, but it's not solving the issue of your, your car needs oil. And marriage is the same way. When you communicate appreciating your differences and you resolve conflict appreciating the differences and you are intimate with one another appreciating the differences, and you work smart in your marriage, it is one of the greatest journeys on earth. But if you try to fix one another and change one another and put lots and lots of expectations on one another, then it starts to be very difficult to stay in love with each other. Well, it's like putting spaghetti sauce on waffles and putting maple syrup on spaghetti. But if you appreciate the differences, you get to feast on your love for one another. Oh, that is so good. And you two have laid such an incredible foundation for married couples. What does this look like when the husband and wife become parents? You know, that's when you have to be super proactive. And um, in one of our chapters, we talk about waffles and spaghetti at home. It will go better with you if you sit down and have some conversations about who will do what and when. And uh, we have a worksheet in there that lists all the things that typical couples have to manage. You can check off which ones each one of you think is most important. And then the key is to delegate the things that, let's say, the wife is most passionate about. She gets a set of cards and things that the husband is most passionate about. He gets a set of cards. And Bill and I, we actually sit down about every couple of years, whenever our life changes, with a set of three by five cards, we write down everything that we need to manage with our kids, with our social life, with our ministry, with uh, when we were pastoring, with our church, with the volunteer things in our community that we were in charge of. And we do an evaluation of priorities. We write down everything on those cards. Then we take those cards and we give them a ranking. A, B, C. 
and C are like, yeah, we're not going to worry about that this year. Another day, another season, another time, put an elastic band around it, put those C cards away to revisit next year. The Bs are like, yeah, these are pretty important, but could anybody else manage them? Can we delegate any of this to our kids, like teach them how to do the dishes or mow the lawn, delegate them to any volunteer that's a part of, you know, our ministry. Then with the rest of the Bs and all of the As, we then play a game that's much like the stock market or the card game pits where you negotiate, like, I'll take the science fair and bringing treats to the classroom if you take doing the taxes. And so you like negotiate. And the key to making all this work, the person who has the card has the authority to do it their way their timing and the other person just thank you uh, thank you applaud you i'm so appreciative that you took that card instead of me so having that attitude of thanking your spouse for picking up half of life that's going to make it go easier in your whole home and your kids will pick up on that too because you're delegating to them and they'll grow into uh, leaders like we have a book 10 best decisions a parent can make and we talk about the learner leader who loves God method of parenting. And you know what? It works. Our kids all ended up becoming learners and leaders who love God by just every year celebrating their uniquenesses and delegating more responsibility to them and appreciating being on their team. And that's really all we're saying in marriage, too, is just be on your spouse's team. I love that idea. And for any other ideas or if people are just intrigued and they want to learn more from the two of you, where can they find you both online? Love-wise.com is our um, website. And then also we encourage you to hop over to Facebook and like Pam and Bill Farrell. This year we're doing um, Marriage Mondays at 6.06 Pacific Time. And we give you a date idea for that week. Then if wives want to join part of my uh, Red Hot Wife challenge group and go through 52 Ways to Wow Your Husband, then shoot us an email. We'll make sure you get in that group. There's a banner that's on our website, and you can just click on the banner. We'll make sure the wives get connected, and we'll be iron sharpening iron to each other. And then for the guys. Well, just... uh Again, love-wise.com, we're connecting God's love and God's wisdom. If you forget all that, just do an internet search on waffles and spaghetti. I guarantee we will own the front page. (laughs) And again, you can go to the Apple Store or the Google Play Store, and Her Best Friend uh, is the app that will help you uh, gain more ideas on how to stay connected to your wife. Awesome. We will link to all of those on our website and show notes. And Bill and Pam, you already know that we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or insight. And as my final question for the two of you today, what is your Savvy Sauce? I love the verse that is the theme verse for our LoveWise ministry, and that's Proverbs 19.8. The one who gets wisdom loves life. And we all want more wisdom. Another place in the Bible, it says, walk with the wise and you'll become wise. 
And so, hey, hop on to LoveWise, become a member of our Living LoveWise community, look around in your local church, ask to go to coffee with a couple that you admire and see if there will be a mentor in your life. Hang out with people who are positive about their marriage and you'll get more positive about your marriage. And my savvy sauce is hang in there until the next breakthrough happens. Because the way relationships work and specifically the way marriage works, it goes from breakthrough to breakthrough. Just like the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you meet Jesus as your personal savior, there is a breakthrough in life that changes everything. And marriage is a reflection of the gospel. So if if your relationship is not all that you would like it to be right now, hang in there and pray for the breakthrough. Because when the breakthrough happens, it will change everything and it will ignite your hearts for one another. That's so encouraging. And I have been following the two of you for years. And I remember reading your books beginning back in high school. So this was such a treat to connect today. Thank you for being my guests. Oh, I love that. It's really fun. I met one woman who said, I read guys are like waffles, girls are like spaghetti. And then I was single and in college I read single men are like waffles, single women like spaghetti. And then we just started premarital counseling because we're getting married this fall and the pastor's taking us through men are like waffles, women like spaghetti. I said, you can teach the next workshop. (laughs) So that's your job now is you get to teach the next workshop and you do such a great job week after week on your podcast. And Laura, thanks for helping people be more savvy in their lives. Thank you again so much. I want to give a quick shout out to our lovable daughter, Isla Shalom, who is turning three today. Happy birthday, Isla. I love you so much. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished, if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. 
At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.